You're listening to The Above the Mug Show, a podcast that highlights people whose passions drive their life. My name is Lucas Spinoza, and I own a coffee shop. Every day I meet dozens of interesting people, and today I sit down with one of them to inspire you to live your life passion forward. What is going on, everybody? It's your friend Lucas Spinoza coming at you from my office inside of the Black Sheep Lounge right here in Welland, Ontario. You're listening to Above the Mug, which is a podcast that highlights positive people, and we're here to show you how you can use your passions to live your life passion forward. Today, joined by an incredibly special guest, Stephanie Dringus. This person is crazy wild good at so many things, but we're here to specifically focus on a few things. One, global public health and infectious diseases is on your resume. Mm -hmm. Really hard. I cannot believe I said that in one breath. Amazing. (laughs) You specialize in HIV. And also, you are now a consultant. So you travel the world and you check out where you can potentially use what you do to make people's lives better, make them healthier, you get them educated. We're going to talk about that today. Amazing. Thank, Thank you, you for, for joining having us. me. Thank you. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Jinx, you owe me a line of Coke. <laughs> Just kidding. I'll hold back and let you lead on this. It's so funny. I, uh, My mom gets so mad at me because, you know, the whole thing when people are like, Jinx, you owe me a Coke. I always go, Jinx, you owe me a line of Coke. And almost no one ever catches that. And then my mom is like, oh, my God, don't talk about drugs. I'm like... It's a joke, mother. <laughs> but she's worried about how it'll reflect on her, probably. No? If, uh, not on her, probably on me, because right. <laughs> I look like I do cocaine. But I don't. So don't do drugs, kids. This is a, a PSA campaign. Which is health-related. It is health-related. So let's jump right into that, because I find this incredibly um, intriguing, what you mm. do. So we had a conversation off-camera, I don't know, maybe last week. Yeah. Um, and so I was telling you a little bit about how my girlfriend now just recently graduated from nursing school. Uh, She's an RPN and she just got a job at the region. So now she's going to start working as a nurse full time. Prior to her being in my life, I didn't know anything about healthcare, didn't know anything about the system. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then getting into politics, I started learning a little bit more about how it works from a political side, which is where a lot of the action actually happens. Um, And now to hear what you do, where it's not necessarily based in the country, mm-hmm. there's a lot of questions and a lot of question marks there for me. So how, maybe how you let me, let me into, how did you get into knowing you wanted to get into healthcare in the first place? Sure. Okay, cool. So let's maybe back it up, right? Yeah. A few steps from actually when I lived in Welland. Mm-hmm. So, cause I currently don't live in Welland, but I was born and raised in Welland and mm-hmm. true Wellander through and through wherever I go in the world, wherever I find myself. Um, so I grew up in Welland here, went to Notre Dame, mm-hmm. um, and during my time at Notre Dame, I was quite, quite involved in different sort of community initiatives, really, really liked, um, being involved, seeing kind of a community thrive. Um, and also I was always sort of involved or interested dually in health and in science. So I find myself kind of more drawn to the science things I was studying and I just really, really liked sort of health in general. Mm-hmm. And then um, after Brock, or sorry, after Notre Dame, I found myself at Brock University uh, studying a health sciences course there. Um, and I started taking um, some infectious disease courses, which I thought were really, really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and also during that time, I started spending my summers volunteering abroad. So with um, through campus ministries at, at Brock University, I would travel with a group of people. And uh, through that amazing program, I found myself in a number of countries in South America and also mm-hmm. in Africa. And I really, really, really liked this kind of interplay between, like you're saying, health and science, and also with infectious diseases, lots of them sort of politics and social issues. 
um, religious issues, economic situations of countries, and I thought this was really, really, really cool. And at the time, I kind of considered um, possibly going to med school and being more sort of clinical-based where you see mm -hmm. individual patients, but I was really, really drawn ultimately to um, international issues in health and also health of communities. So health in countries, health in communities, not just individual people, but how can we learn about sort of health, health issues that are facing entire groups of people? And then what do we do to make, you know, that issue or those people's lives as a whole better? Mm -hmm. So that's how I found myself really interested in infectious diseases, but more at kind of, yeah, a population level communities. And I think a lot of that goes back to how, um, growing up in Welland at least, was really sort of cultivated and supported this sort of community feel, this community initiative. For sure. Yeah. And, and community is very important, obviously, but the education aspect, even though we have a really great system in Canada, mm -hmm. we have a lot of things that I think could be better just by the user mm -hmm. being a little bit more informed. I remember the first thing I learned, um, or at least I shouldn't say that, the first thing that stuck with me that my girlfriend Katie had told me about mm -hmm. is the difference between emergency and urgent care just at home. Yeah. I didn't even know there was such thing as urgent care. And I, you know, I had 20 something years of, of going to, you know, visit somebody at a hospital or whatever. And uh, I, then I started stumbling upon these billboards that they have um, out West where it's like, do you have the flu? Urgent care, black plague, <laughs> emergency yeah. <laughs> yeah, room. Yeah. So they were trying to m almost make light of we get what you've been doing, but it's mm -hmm. wrong. Mm -hmm. If you broke your arm, it's not actually an emergency because you're not dying. Yeah. So go to urgent care. You'll be seen probably faster. Uh, and it frees up the emergency room, which ultimately costs us less money yeah. to have an urgent care instead of emergency care. So there's so many things that you learn just from, you know, little pieces of advice like that. So I think the education component of what you do is, is really interesting to me. So, so it's actually interesting you bring this up. So um, so just to say, for the last about 10 years, I've been based overseas in the UK, and mm -hmm. I've worked primarily in Africa and Asia. But a lot of the sorts of, um, I don't know how to say this for better words, things that I see or deal with can be applied in all different sorts of countries, mm -hmm. right? So talking about how users or patients or clients can be more actively involved in healthcare is something that I'm quite interested in and have been working a lot on recently. Um, so in particular, I do a lot of research um, and, and delivery of programs related to adolescents or teenagers. And even before we begin this sort of like education phase or dissemination of information, we want to involve those people way back at the beginning when we're designing programs, mm -hmm. when we're designing information, when we're designing what we call an intervention to say, you know, tell us a bit more about your needs and things that are working for you and not working for you. Um, so, for example, why do you access um, emergency when you have, you know, this problem? And mm -hmm. they might say, well, I don't know if that there's another option or I don't, you know, I don't feel safe going to that sort of other option. And then we would feed that information into like the program, like you're saying, designing some sort of information or dissemination um, based on what we've learned from sort of like clients. And I think mm -hmm. that a lot of um, the community in general 
probably feel sort of left out that the services, like health services that are being designed for them are not tailored to their needs. It's not what they want. It's not what they feel comfortable accessing. Mm -hmm. It's not what's important to them. And I mean, if we pull it back and look at Welland, for example, I'm sure that if we talk to a lot of different groups of people in Welland, they would feel that either there isn't an appropriate or accessible or relevant or usable sort of health service for their their needs and their wants. Absolutely. So I'm quite interested, you know, as someone who works in global public health, but from, you know, designing programs and evaluating them to see how they work, quite interested in in, in actually talking to the people that use the programs to see how they can be made better. For sure. I think, um, again, with this educa- education component of this, you look at, easy example, a computer or a mm-hmm. phone. When you first get a piece of technology, uh, you have a rough idea of what its purpose is. So you buy yourself a phone. It's a funny name for them now because they're not used mostly as a phone. They're mostly computers, right? And so, yeah, you'll get yourself a new iPhone and you're flipping through and you know there's certain features. You know that there's a voice yeah. recording memo thing on there. You know there's notes. You know there's messenger. You know there's email. But some people may not un- realize how much more is in that that just mm-hmm. isn't being accessed. So just by having someone show you like, hey, you can ask your phone uh, to tell you a joke, and it'll tell you a joke. It may not be important to you in that moment, but it's one of those things that just by being willing to hear new information, new features can come out of something that's already there in place. So I know in healthcare, uh, to make this come full full circle, like I was saying about the emergency to urgent care thing, that's one of it. But I think uh, we need people to kind of I guess we need these institutions to stop caring about feelings as much and more about like, listen, this system does not work if Mm -hmm. you're not educated. We have a great system in place, but the problem is we're spending too much money over here and, and we're being underutilized over here. So having that vetting process being like, listen, I know you drove here, but you have to go to Port Coburn or you have to go to Thorold or whatever it is. I think we need to be a little bit more stern in our approach delivering this education, uh, same thing uh, from a school level, because I never remembered in elementary or high school anyone telling us the difference between these two places. Mm-hmm. But I remember you know, um, our mayors throughout the years coming into elementary school and talking about politics. So I think it would be good to have that as part of your curriculum, is talking about healthcare and school and politics, all of these large whether they're provincial or regional or even national or international institutions, we need to be more informed about them. So um, to segue into this about your consultant work, Mm -hmm. do you do more lecture style or is it essay writing? What is it exactly that you do the the most of you think? So this is actually an interesting question because I'm kind of in a transition phase right now, which is incredibly exciting and also slightly terrifying. TED Talks? Uh, maybe. <laughs> yes, I'm obsessed, obsessed with TED Talks. So. Um, so for the last couple of years, um, while I was finishing up my, my PhD, I was um, based at a university um, in the UK called the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, a really amazing place with just amazing, fantastic people. Um, and there I was a research fellow, which meant that I split my time working across several research projects that took me to a lot of really interesting 
countries and I got to work with a lot of amazing people. Um, and also then the other sort of half of my time I spent um, teaching and lecturing, which I really, really, really mm -hmm. love. So again, I was teaching um, sort of evaluation of public health interventions um, to international students from just, I mean, so many different countries with really fascinating um, backgrounds. So um, as I sort of, I'm transitioning sort of out of that role and out of being primarily, I guess, academic or focused in academia, um, I'm really interested now in working again on like a range of different sort of projects. So as you said, my focus primarily has been sort of HIV AIDS research. Mm. Um, I've worked a lot with, with adolescents and primarily in Africa, um, but I'm also interested in a lot of other health um, conditions, a lot of other diseases, mm. and hope to find myself in more countries working with more ranges of teams on like other, other sorts of research projects. So I'm someone that really likes to have my hand kind of in like lots of different pots, working with mm. different groups of people. Um, I'm really also interested in, like you were mentioning before, sort of the policy aspect. So how do we bridge what we're learning in research with sort of practice and policy? You know, making these findings really sort of... Um, relevant to, to the communities where mm -hmm. they are. I'm incredibly interested in mentoring um, younger people that are at earlier stages of either their studies or their careers. Um, I know that I've had a couple really, really influential um, people, including some amazing women that have mentored me, particularly the last decade as I navigated this sort of, this area. So I'm quite interested um, also in doing that. So. Yeah, so I'm, I'm working now as sort of an independent consultant, taking on various pieces of work, and also in the process of um, establishing my own, uh, my own company. Cool. Which I hope to have kind of a team of really multi... Because right now, I, one of the things I actually really love is I work on multidisciplinary teams. Awesome. So it brings together people from lots of different backgrounds, countries, sort of training, education, and somehow we all, you know, work together. To and make different some... specialties as yeah, well. Yeah, right? absolutely. And it's so cool to be learning from each other and working together. So that's what I envision for myself um, in a couple, a couple years. Um, and one of the reasons I'm actually trying to sort of do that configuration is that so I can spend more time at home. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as much as I love, love, love bouncing around the globe and working in global public health and I've always wanted to do this, um, I still feel incredibly connected to Welland. Mm. Um, I really love the time that I spend here and I want to be able to spend more time here, not just with my family and friends, but also more involved again absolutely. in some and different community initiatives. Yeah. I think with what you've learned and all of these skills you've acquired over time and through practice, especially if you do want to open your own company, it's the perfect time to do that in a place like Welland mm -hmm. because having an office here would be very inexpensive at this time where yeah. in 10 years it may not be. Correct, yeah. uh, And building a team of people when you have a really great, um, gr a great college and a great university mm -hmm. that's steps and in, in the college case or, you know, just a 15 minute drive in the university case. So you could very easily find young and hungry people that want to get on board because you're not looking necessarily, I shouldn't speak for you, but I'm, <laughs> from what I've heard, it doesn't look like you're looking necessarily for just the CEO type mm -hmm. or ju just the board director type, you're also looking for people who are going to want to go overseas and they may not need the same sorts of skill sets that you did mm -hmm. because you're learning and you're leading the team, right? It's different, like, um, kind of like with 
with what we do at the cafe, right? Not everyone here needs to be me. Yeah. I, I need to be me. Everyone has their own role. And then you've got people who make coffee. You've got people who do ordering and inventory, but just a, a different uh, a different role, different hats that they wear. So Yeah, so it's actually been amazing because this time I'm home for like quite a large chunk of time. And so one of my things while I was here is I was going to make a concerted effort to network um, with people both in and out of my field. So people who actually might have like some of the technical skills that could be involved, but also just learning from lots of other people in the region and in Welland about how they have started their own companies, how they've, you know, what types of failures they've had, how they've learned from them, turned them into successes. And I reached out and it was amazing how many people have been in touch and said, yeah, I'll go for a coffee with you. Yeah. And some of them um, have sort of expertise to offer from other fields of business. And a lot of them, though, are connected or eager to be involved in this sort of initiative. Mm -hmm. So many so that I actually don't think I'm going to get through sort of being able to meet with everyone before Which is I, good. Before good I leave. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's... Uh, it's been really nice coming back home to like my roots and reflect a lot on next steps mm -hmm. and where I'm going. So a lot of walks up and down the canal, a lot of chats with people that have kind of known me from when I was young, a lot of sitting in my backyard talking with my parents. And I think that's really special. I think, um, you know, having this like, even though I'm very global, having this really strong sense of community um, mm -hmm. that I can come back to of people that have known me from when I was younger and knew that this was kind of my vision, um, you know, and it's, it's, those are the people that keep you going because this has been challenging, right? Of course, yeah. So to continue to stay positive and think, you know, you, you know, from your sort of own experience, I'm sure of starting your own business that it's not, you know, a lot of people see the kind of like end product, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of those moments in between where you question like, am I doing the right thing? Am I on the right track? I'm doing that now. Yeah. I mean, a hundred times <laughs> a day, a right hundred times a day, I have a crisis of like, oh my gosh, what, what, what? And I think being able to come back to like this really supportive, nurturing place is even though you know, I spend most of my time sort of out there. The people at home really, I kind of feel like, you know, there's this like army of support. You, you need me. that though. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that I'm hearing from you is a lot of it comes down to also perspective. Mm -hmm. And if you're spending all of your time helping, air quotes, Dr. Evil style, um, not to undermine what you do, it's for yourself. You, you, I find when you're immersed in something for so long and so intensely, you almost have to pull yourself back to actually be more effective later. Yes. You know, you have to gain that perspective. I, I've been now twice um, to Central and South America mm -hmm. for coffee, uh, which was the first time I've ever been able to use what I love in order to travel, which was very exciting. So first time was Nicaragua. Uh, I got back to Canada a week before the Civil War broke out, which wow. was a wild experience. And I remember being like, really, I don't want to use the word depressed, but I definitely was not myself for weeks after coming back. I was gone for eight days and it took me like three weeks to get back to normal because I, I, gaining that new perspective uh, of what life is like outside of your own little yeah. shell is bizarre and it's eye-opening and not to sound like a hippie, it really does change, I shouldn't say everybody, but for me, it definitely changed how I looked at life. Uh, and then fast forward another year, myself, my girlfriend, and uh, one of our employees at the cafe, we went to Honduras. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, now I've went with a team and people that I, I love in my own life. And they got to experience that for the first time. Yeah. And for myself, I got to see how it affected them. 
And same thing, getting back uh, to Canada, it was a really weird experience, but it was, it was good the second time because now I'm like, okay, I understand that people, even though their lives are different than ours, it's not necessarily that they dislike it. If anything, they probably enjoy their lives better than we do, that old uh, cliche, mm-hmm. but, but it is true. Like Every time I think about these experiences that I gained from being in these countries, I was like, I always think to myself, why every time I hear myself complain about something minute, I'm like, I, I hate myself for this. I can't stand it. So I can imagine that being around friends and family that are supportive, you can gain new insight to bring back when you do mm-hmm. eventually travel. But I want to jump into a, a couple questions because this is flying by really fast. Um, one of the things is we mentioned you traveling and we mentioned some of the work that you do, but what is it? So let's say you're in Southern Africa or whatever. Uh, where is it? or sorry, not where is it, what is it that you actually do when you're down there? Are you doing writing? Are you taking pictures? Are you taking blood samples? What is it primarily that you're doing when you're uh, traveling uh, for work? Okay, so I'm going to try to like make this Run through maybe long. a day. Like Just like you wake up, what's the first thing you have to do to the last thing you have to do? So a lot of the work that I've done in the past couple of years have been about designing a health program, or we call it an intervention, about something mm-hmm. specific. And then, um, in a lot of cases, delivering that program and then um, evaluating it to see how it's working. So, for example, um, the last couple of years, I've spent um, a, a lot of my time working in Zimbabwe awesome. um, with a group of both um, people from the UK, from the university, as well as a lot of local Zimbabweans from you know various different sort of professional backgrounds. And together as a team, we've been um, designing programs specifically related to adolescent health, um, primarily HIV, um, sexually transmitted infections, and other sorts of other sorts of um, health issues that young people face and that yep. are really important to them. So quite often, that sort of work. Um, you know, starts many, many months earlier where we're sort of, we've applied for a research grant. Yeah. And we've sort of used other things that are already in the research, um, area, um, to design sort of a health program. Mm. So these are usually quite large programs that are going to be delivered to thousands of people, um, in lots of different communities in different places in the country. So, um, you know, when I'm in London, a lot of my days are spent sort of either in meetings or on conference calls or possibly teaching um, and working with the team to try and get this this program sort of designed. And then I have been kind of splitting my time between London and between sort of in-country, so whatever country that I'm working in. And when I'm in the country, um, the days could be varied. So it could be spent working with my colleagues there, Mm -hmm. again, about sort of the high level, what this program should look like. It might be more sort of operational work, um, having meetings with sort of local ministry, local clinics, um, whoever might be involved in in the program. Um, going to see how the program is running um, and working with other sorts of people that are evaluating how sort of effective the program might be. Awesome. So it's quite... So it's very extensive. It's all over the place. Yeah, it's a mixed bag and it changes. It can change kind of day to day, month to month. So it's hard to say, you know, this is a typical day. That's that's awesome. Um, And then another thing I was curious about is... Obviously, you've done an extensive amount of traveling now at this point. You know, mm-hmm. you've seen a lot more than definitely someone like myself has. I know some of the things that when I visit 
other places around the world, I think, okay, I wish we had some of that here, or I'm glad we don't have some of that where we are. What do you think is the thing that stood out to you the most as maybe the most exciting thing you've seen across the globe from a particular country or region that you wish maybe you could have brought back to Canada or that we could have in Canada? Oh, that is an interesting question. I don't think anyone has ever asked me that. Well, you know, question. I think about like for yeah. myself, I love the the food in Honduras mm-hmm. was amazing. Like the amount of pride and time they put into everyday meals, like and to them, they, they think it's boring. Mm-hmm. But for me, for me, I just I love what they do, and and I would love to be able to bring that food here the way they they do food in Honduras. So, so I mean, it probably goes back to what you were saying earlier. So the nature of my work obviously has put me in a lot of situations where I've seen a lot of bad, really, you know, bad things, difficult mm-hmm. things, really challenging sort of circumstances that people find themselves and live their lives in. And yeah, I mean, I enjoy sort of. You know, and the good thing about my work is that I spend often quite a bit of time in a country. So I used to, yeah. for example, I lived in South Africa for a couple of years. So you really build close relationships. You learn about traditions and about food and Absolutely. about history. I think, I mean, across the board, something that's really stood out to me is just um, the way like that people can come together to make something happen, often with sort of limited resources. I've always been incredibly welcomed into Mm. all the places that I go, even though I'm sort of an outsider or a foreigner. And the way that people have welcomed me and treated me and offered me sort of, you know, the very little that they have has been, I mean, very humbling. But remarkably, I just say sometimes I'm in countries where like it seems impossible for things to get done and yet some, somehow things are getting in, getting done. Mm. So over the last couple months, um, particularly with Zimbabwe, I'm drawing on that experience because it's been the most, my most recent, there's been a lot of issues with um, not having electricity, mm. petrol, internet service, um, money to like, you know, move things around. And it is a very difficult situation to work in. Absolutely. But this people coming together and making things happen, I'm always amazed at not only this sort of community spirit and teamwork, but just this forward thinking of like, you know, making things sort of happen with very limited resources. And I'm not by any means saying that it's okay to have these situations where, you know, there's limited resources mm-hmm. and people are very challenged and suffering. But um I think the human spirit in very challenging situations, I just sometimes stand back and I'm just like, wow, how is this person still positive, still thinking of a solution, still welcoming me? Yeah. That is just like the um, the resilience of people. It just, perfect. I'm getting kind of sure. No, you, about you, it. you, this is the absolute perfect way to end this off where I said a, a hard cap of 27. <laughs> we're at like 26, 20. So to end this off, Um, I don't know if you have a website or anything like that, but if someone wants to get in contact, because I know you're thinking about Mm -hmm. having some plans here at home, how can they contact you? Maybe an email if you don't have a website? That would be amazing. I mean, probably the easiest way is right now through Facebook. Um, So I'm the only Stephanie Dringus I know of. Um, Well in the world, but on Facebook With right an now. F in Stephanie. With an F, that's no, right. No PH. Um, and I'd love to hear from anyone, either local or abroad. Um, both, like, you know, like I said, I'm really interested in kind of collaborating sort of work-wise, mm. but also ways that I can be more involved locally. You know, we spoke earlier about the ways I was involved locally in the community before. So I think... Um, yeah, either of those. I would love to hear from people. We can meet here for a coffee. Yeah, sweet. Um, that would be great. For sure. Okay, well, listen, 
You're listening to Above the Mug. Again, it's a podcast. We highlight amazing people and show you how you can use what you love in your own life to live passion forward. Today, joined by Stephanie Dringus, and we will see you guys next week. Hey, friend. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Above the Mug. For more episodes, check us out at AboveTheMug.com. Make sure to like, share, subscribe, review, comment, tag your friends. This way you're not the only person listening to this thing. We come up with a brand new podcast every Sunday at noon, so we'll see you next week on Above the Mug.